Right, this morning we're continuing reading through the book of John. Um, it'll come up on the screen behind me, or if you want to look it up in your church Bibles, it's on page 860. Um, through this series in John, we're looking at what John wrote about Jesus, um, which shows us why we can believe in Jesus Christ. As a church family, we've been sharing about um, different reasons each one of us believe. One of the reasons for me is that I believe it's through the resurrection and death of Jesus Christ that we find acceptance in God and we can find rest from the pressure and anxieties of this world. So we're going to read John chapter 1, starting at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can any good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. As I mentioned before, we are on a journey through the first four chapters of the Gospel of John. And yeah, as we're, we're working through, we're seeing testimonies and John's laying out this presentation, this is why I believe, this is why I believe... Uh, that he's taking Jesus seriously and why he believes we should take Jesus seriously too. Uh, so before we dig into the passage, how about we just pray that Jesus will help us to understand these words. Dear Father, we do thank you that you don't leave us in the dark, that you've come and revealed yourself to us. And that even today you say you speak to us through your word and through your Holy Spirit, Lord. So we pray that as we sit here this morning, that you will speak to us. Let your spirit help us to understand and move us and change us and mould us, we pray, for your glory. Amen. In Australia, we have this obsession, you might call, for big things. The big prawn, 
Uh, I can say that I've actually seen the world through the eye of a prawn. Yes, if you've experienced like me, being able to go up, maybe show my age a little bit because you can't do it now, but before you used to be able to go through, the big prawn had ladders and you could go up and actually see the world through the eye of a big prawn. It was awesome. You don't sound as excited as me, but you get inside, a big thing. There's the big banana. You can also walk through the middle of the big banana. It's a tourist attraction. It's what you go and see if you're ever around Coffs Harbour. You can tell it's a New South Wales banana because it's straight. We have bent ones in Queensland. Uh, But it's, yeah, big. And there's the other big thing. um, I'm not really sure... I think that was phase one. Phase two of the big thing was the big toilet. That's all I'm guessing for that one. I'm not sure what that says about the town, but uh, I'm sure it's a big tourist attraction for them. But we like big things. Big things that we go along and see and we're obsessed with. We want to go to that place and check it out. We tend to like big things in Australia as tourist attractions, but we don't actually like big things that maybe are more important Like, we don't actually like a big Jesus. A big Jesus actually causes trouble. A big Jesus challenges us. I'm not sure whether we want a big Jesus. But see, there's this thing going on in Scripture where uh, in the Gospel of John, he's laying out the, the start of Jesus' ministry is where we're at, where Jesus is going along. He's meeting people, and they seem to be drawn to him. They see something in Jesus that are just like a magnet. They're just being drawn in and they they see him and they can see almost immediately, this is big. This is big. Now, we kind of go, well, what's going on with the disciples? What's going back all that time ago? Were they just a bit more gullible, a bit naive? You know, a big leader comes along and says, follow me. And everybody just went along and followed. Not exactly. In that time, there are lots of people going around making big claims and even getting a bit of a following, but they never end up going anywhere. But Jesus comes along and makes some big claims. People get drawn to him and the the claims stick. It's almost like they can see something. They know more about Jesus than we realise. We go, we've got the evidence here in in the Bible and we can see it historically that this is all here. How could they know? But actually, they knew more than we realise. It's, it's almost like we do spend a lot of time in the New Testament because we want to uh, look straight at Jesus and who Jesus is and how to live for him. But it's almost like if we, if we lost the Old Testament, what would we lose? And I think for many of us, we'd probably go, if we lost the Old Testament, probably wouldn't lose too much. But in fact, these guys just had the Old Testament. And when they see Jesus, they know all about him. They know they need to drop everything and follow him. And they do. And it costs them, cost them a lot. And we've got to ask why. What did they know about Jesus that we need to know? We see examples of it all the time. If you ever come across the Christmas story and we see baby Jesus born in a manger and then we see the wise men coming to look for this new king, have you ever stopped and wondered, how did they know there was a new king? How did they, like, what made them go and look for this, this Jewish ruler, the king of Israel? They knew stuff. Last week, if you were here, uh, in part of the story of John the Baptist, the Jewish leaders were coming to John the Baptist going, are you Elijah? Are you Moses? Are you the prophet? Asking him all these specific questions. It's like, what are you asking this for? What do you know that we don't know, maybe? So this morning, we get this bit of a 
a bit of a guide through the Old Testament and what draws these people to him. And we might be surprised about how much they do know about Jesus, but maybe helps us how much we need to know about Jesus too. We get this... Um, we get this journey as we got into the narrative. We finish off John the Baptist, but we picked it up that last verse where John the Baptist, he's still got some disciples around him. He's the last, uh, last of the prophets to have disciples. Now they're all going to be following Jesus. But he's there and he's got two of his disciples. He sees Jesus again and labels him, hey, this is the Lamb of God. We saw that last week. We spent a whole uh, morning on what does it mean that he's talking about Jesus as the Lamb of God. Uh, so... If you missed that talk, you can go back and uh, listen to it off the website. But he's pointing, again, he's using the Old Testament. This is the one that we're meant to be looking for. Now, these guys, um, one we're going to find out his name's Andrew. The other one's not named. We think it might be uh, John who wrote the gospel, but he's not named, so we're not 100% sure. But we get this conversation happening with them where they come up to Jesus and ask him, you know, where you're staying, we want to know more about you. We hear the story about um, the Jesus. Um, I might have skipped ahead there, sorry. The, Jesus asking, What do you want? What are you following me for? Uh, and they say, Where are you staying? Then they go on in this conversation about, uh, We want to know more about you. And Jesus, is like, inviting them, Come and see. Come and see. Uh, where I am and they spend the day with Jesus and what happens out of that spending a day with Jesus we get Andrew Andrew's one of the guys he seems to have all his questions answered he's convinced because he's been looking for something big and now he can see uh, that something big is happening you can see when he goes and tells somebody if you meet somebody important or go to somewhere big what do we normally do we want to tell somebody so we Facebook it Instagram it uh, this is back in the oldie days where they actually had to go and tell somebody face-to-face, -face, I've met somebody important, and what does he say? Who does he say he's met? The Messiah. The Messiah is uh, the Greek term, or the, the Christ is what's translated, which kind of means uh, in our English term, the king. I've met the king. This is big. This is important. The one I've met. This is big. So what does he mean by, or what do... How can we know what he really means? That he's been looking for somebody, somebody really big and important. He's found this person. He's now going to tell everybody, we've found the Messiah. You know, was the Messiah ever lost? You know, it's that sort of question. No, but we are looking for the Messiah. How does he know what to look for? Now, we're going to do a bit of a journey because these guys are Jews. They know their Old Testament much better than we do. But we need to pull out. How does he know to look for a Messiah? A Messiah type figure. Back in 2 Samuel 7, this is King David time. This is a thousand years uh, before Jesus. King David uh, wanted to build uh, the temple, a house for God, and God's saying, No, 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 David, settle down. I don't need a house built by you. But then he goes on to talk about in 2 Samuel 7, for verse 12, I will raise up an offspring to succeed you, uh, your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for, me, uh, for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I'm going to establish his kingdom in the line of David. You know, we think David, 
If you know your Old Testament, David's a great king. He's an awesome king. He made Israel to, to rise to its greatest ever time in history. So for God to say, I'm going to give another king, a greater king than even you, David, in the line of David, his throne's going to last forever. And he will be my son, says God, as a promise. Now, if you're reading that, you've got to go, who's he talking about? You know, David's son, Solomon, and his son, and his son. Their throne didn't last forever. They died. They couldn't exactly, are they God's son? Well, not really. We haven't really got any sort of claim to that either. So who is this king in the line of David who's going to take the throne? This king, Messiah, Christ, all meaning the same word. Who is this one? This one to come. There's this anticipation. God's promised it. These guys have been sitting on this promise for a thousand years when David said this. They've been waiting for this to come through. So now Andrew's going, I'm convinced this is the one. We've found the one, the Messiah. You know, the one, one in Samuel that we talk about. Then Jesus continues on his journey and meets the guy, Philip. He meets Philip uh, and calls him to follow, to follow him. And, Jesus, uh, and Philip picks up this pretty quickly that uh, Jesus is somebody really important. And when he goes to tell others, he says, hey, we've found the one Moses wrote about. Found the one the prophets wrote about. It's like, we've found the big one. This, this one we've been hoping for, waiting for, in anticipation of. We've found him. And you kind of go, what does he mean about Jesus? Why was he looking? So then uh, we can go, there's a few different passages uh, that we go to. But the most obvious, in Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, is Moses having a speech. This is some 1,500 years earlier. Moses was a great leader of the Israelites. He was the one who saved them or brought them out of slavery, led them into the, well, up to the promised land. He was the first great leader. It was almost, yeah, their first leader of the Israelites. And when in Deuteronomy, uh, at the end of Deuteronomy here, it's Moses, he's at the gates of the promised land in a sense, is at the Jordan River, uh, he's not going to go into the promised land and he's an old man and he's having his farewell speech and he's saying farewell to the Israelites and by the way, he's waving his finger and going, you listen to God, you be good and God's going to bless you in the land. Otherwise, he's going to kick you out. But then God speaks to Moses at that time and God says, I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from among their follow fellow Israelites and I will... Uh, and I will put my word in the mouth and he will tell them everything I commanded him. Again, we get this a pro, a Moses-like figure. Moses was a great leader, great leader that led his people. But now we see a, somebody like Moses is going to lead the people again. Where's this anticipation? Is it, is it King David when he comes? Is it the other leaders? Who is it? Well, now... Philip says, we've found the one. We've found the one Moses talked about. You know that promise back in the end of Deuteronomy? This is the one. There's this anticipation. This is big. They've been sitting on that promise for about 1,500 years. Who is the one? They've finally found this is the one. We travel a bit further and we meet uh, Nathaniel. Nathaniel's a bit of a sceptic. He you know, wants to check Jesus out. Jesus has a conversation with him, tells him stuff that... Uh, he wouldn't know unless he's someone special. And now Nathaniel can see, hey, how did you know that about me unless you truly are the son of God? The king of Israel is the label he puts in. This is who you are. 
you know, it's, it's not days of convincing, but they're looking for somebody and he goes, wow, you are the one. This is big, the son of God, the king of Israel. Why is he looking for the son of God, the king of Israel? Back in uh, Psalm 2, Psalm 2 verse 6, where God says, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. It's a bit of a metaphor there, but my king on my throne, basically. And verse 7, I'll proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now, all through that time, we go, what does that really mean before Jesus? What does it mean that God's man on his throne, that's good. God puts his kings on his throne. But to say, you are my son, today I've become your father. Who is this king? We need to wait for this king. We need to look for this king. And all of a sudden, Nathaniel says, this is the one. This is the one, the son of God, the king of Israel. He's here. This one we've been waiting for, the anticipation. This promise goes back. King David wrote this psalm. So again, another thousand years. They've been sitting on these promises, waiting in anticipation for this, something big to happen. And they've got this picture. When they see Jesus, they know, they know he's going to be a leader like Moses. They know he's going to be a king like, like David or better than Moses, better than David. And now here, this claim of the Son of God. They've got the description of what this person's going to be like. And now when they see him, it's easy to go, yep, you tick the boxes. You are the one. You're the one. So it's no trouble for them to go, I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to follow you because we've been waiting a long time for this. It's almost like, if we had to put it in today's term, the promise of Jesus to return to take us to heaven. How long have we been sitting on that promise? Nearly 2,000 years. But we wait in anticipation. When we see Jesus come, we'll know you're the one. This is the time. For them, they know this is the time. This is the one. This is big. Humanly speaking, this is massive. But in a sense, the way they describe it in the Old Testament, the Old Testament's like looking through a lens, it's a bit blurry, the, you know, we see what to expect, but is it the real clear picture? It's not till they see Jesus, that Jesus rocks up in the earth, <clears throat> that we can see the clear picture of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So Jesus accepts what they're saying about him. He's not denying it. He says, yep, I am that one. But then he adds... This whole come and see thing. Come and see more. And then he fills that out a little bit more from verse 50. And he, claimed, he, he brings out uh, a funny saying that, again, if we didn't have our Old Testament, we'd just go, what does this mean? But he talks about, you know, you believe me because I, I said some things about you. You know, that's good that you've pick, picked up who I am. But wait, you're going to see much more than this. You know, follow me around. You're going to see some amazing things. And he describes it in the way of, I tell you, you will see this whole come and see thing. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, if we only had the New Testament and didn't have the Old Testament, again, we'd go, what do we do with this? This is a weird kind of image. But he is pointing to something back in the Old Testament. Something from Genesis 28 Genesis, uh, uh, in Genesis 28, uh, there's a guy called Jacob and he gets a vision from God. And in his vision from God, he sees heavens open up and a stairway coming down and angels coming up and down the stairway. And from that, through thinking through this, he's going, this place is, 
is where heaven meets earth. This is how he's interpreting the vision. It's, this is where heaven meets earth. earth. But it's just a vision. It's not a reality. It's not go to that place and you actually go up the escalator into heaven. But it's, there's, it's possible for heaven and earth to come together and meet. And what Jesus is saying, hey, remember that vision that Jacob had way back then? It wasn't about a staircase. It wasn't about a ladder. It was about me. I am the staircase. When heaven opens up, and comes down to earth, we get access to heaven through not a staircase, but a person named Jesus. We actually get a name for this staircase. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one. He calls himself there the Son of Man. Again, another um, term that Daniel 7, another prophet used, uh, talking about uh, when God comes, uh, when the heavens will open and God will come and we'll see the Son of Man coming on a cloud, come to earth to us. Uh, So it's another term of this God uh, coming to us. The distance between heaven and earth is no longer this great chasm, but it's come together. But do you understand what he's saying here? The exclusive claim of Jesus. It's not through any other way you can know the Father. It's not through any other way you can get to heaven, but through the one single person in Jesus Christ. That's a big claim. It's not through being religious. It's not through being Christian. It's not through being good morals that you're going to get to heaven. It's only through Jesus. This one window into heaven says, I'm that stairway. A big, exclusive claim. It's almost like we saw it play out this morning when we made the baptism vows. I don't know whether you noticed, but all those vows and promises are all about Jesus. I trust Jesus. I'm going to raise my children to know Jesus and we're going to pray that they trust Jesus when they're older too. Jesus is the only way. It's... A little while ago, I wanted to go to uh, a State of Origin match, and I you know, Googled up, how do I get tickets to the State of Origin? And there's a whole lot of places still sell State of Origin tickets. And I thought, well, if I look around enough, maybe I'll get a cheap ticket. But I soon worked out they all go through Ticketek, the one company who does it, no matter which, who you buy it from, it's all through one company. They've got a monopoly. They're the only ones you can get into the State of Origin. That's what Jesus is doing for heaven. He's the only one. There's others that are going to try and say, you can buy from us, do our thing, and we'll get you there. But Jesus is exclusive. Exclusive rights to that bridge into heaven, that stairway. That's me. That's me, he's saying. It raises a big question then. They can all see it. They've, uh, they know their Old Testament scripture. They're hearing this stuff and go, yep, he's this, he's this. We've got all these images. We're putting it together. He is the Son of God. It's Christ, he's the Moses-type figure. He's the one they've all been talking about. But the question for us is, what do you see in Jesus? We've seen what they all have seen, but what do we see in Jesus? You see, for them, living at that time, they had the big question, who, who is the one they're talking about? Who is the Christ? Who is the new Moses? Who is he? So they find him. And they've got the truth. It's it's a pretty black and white answer. Either he is or he isn't. But they're going, he is. We can see it. This is the truth. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We get into the New Testament, and then we see the evidence laid out. There's not so much a question now, is he the Christ, but the presentation, he is the Christ. Have a look. Come and see. This is the truth. So you can believe in him and follow him. 
We're a long time now, so the New Testament was pretty much all written in the first 100 years AD. Uh, we're nearly 2,000 years later. We actually interpret things differently just through our cultural grid. I'm not sure whether you're aware of this, but truth is not always truth anymore. Truth is very subjective. We call it our postmodern culture about how we interpret questions, how we interpret truth, or even how we interpret history. So we don't just all see Jesus and go, look, the disciples can see it. Look, it's written in there. I'm going to drop everything, you know, give my house away, give my car away. I'm just going to follow Jesus' ways. That's a big call. We're like, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. Because I think what it means to follow Jesus is a bit more subjective than that. Let me give you an example. Um, I heard there was a sign down near Sydney in Botany Bay. And the sign at Botany Bay said, uh, this is Botany Bay. Um, I think it said something like, where Australia began was the sign. And true enough, that's where um, Captain Cook come in, planted the flag and declared it uh, yeah, under the, the name of the Queen or whatever he said. But he goes there and, and claims it and, and names it and you know, through time it become known as Australia. So in modern history, this is where Australia began. But I believe, this is what I've been told, the sign's not there anymore. Because, you know, is that the beginning of Australia? Oh, we call it Australia now, but we've got a history that runs thousands of years through the Indigenous communities. You know, how do we justify that? Now, it's a big debate, so much of a debate interpreting, reinterpreting history that they've actually taken away the sign. One day it was okay, the next day it's not okay. What do people believe? And I think if we ask the question here, people would come up with different approaches. Should we have a sign like that or not? What is the truth? Is that the beginning of Australia? Now, it's a question because we reinterpret history. We, we think a little bit more, what, how does it affect me? Is it good for me? Is it good for us in the country? What makes me happy? What brings us peace? And it, we, all believe, we all know Captain Cook was there. We all believe that's a true fact. But we all come out with different interpretations of that. Was it a good thing or was it a terrible thing? We walk away differently. So this is our, our community now on how we think. So for Jesus now, we could, we're pretty, historians are pretty certain there was a guy called Jesus existed. He did some amazing miracles. Even they're pretty curious about the whole rising from the dead. They're very open to that. Historians are, the academic ones. Um, the but what do you do with that? So even if we could prove to, you know, we had a video, we had footage of Jesus rising from the dead, you know, we had all the evidence we want. Still, what do we do with that? How do we see Jesus? Because you either go, yes, it's true, and I'm going to drop everything and follow him, but sometimes we go through our cultural grid, our filters, and go, actually, I'm not sure whether I want to believe that, or I want to, yeah, I know he's an important figure, I'll have that, but I'm not going to have him as Lord. Or do I have him as Lord, but that means I have to change my whole life to follow him. It becomes very complicated. And I'm not sure whether we all realise it, but even if we've got the proof that Jesus truly is the Son of God, the only way to heaven, do we still wrestle with what do we do with that? What do we do with that? And if we critique him, with that question, the questions of what we ask today. It's not uh, who is the one of the Old Testament or this is the one of the New Testament. Now in our cultural greed, we go, is he the one for me? Yeah, it's all right for those people. They can follow him. 
but not necessarily my thing. So we, make, we can make Jesus a small Jesus. And when we make a small Jesus, we want Jesus to actually start following me and my lead rather than saying, I've got a big Jesus and I need to follow him. There's a whole lot of come and see moments in the Gospel of John. A whole lot. I just want to steer you to one uh, now. And that is we get to the end of John and we meet this guy, Thomas. Because Jesus has died on the cross, he's raised from the dead, and he appeared to the disciples. Well, all the disciples except for Thomas. So when the Thomas said, hey, we've seen, we've seen with our own eyes that Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's alive, which confirms his claim on being the Son of God, confirms his humanity come to earth, so he's both human and divine. Uh, We've seen it all. And Thomas rightly says, well, pretty much, I'm not just going to take your word for it. This is big if it's true, but unless I see, unless I see and touch, I want to see the marks in his hands, I want to touch his side where the spear went in, unless I do that, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. I want, I want the hard truth because this is really big. But then uh, a week later, Jesus does come in, walks through a locked door and comes in and just lines up Thomas and says, hey, come and see, come and touch. Here's the scars in my hand. Here's the scar in my side. Here it is. Here's the evidence. Is Jesus truly the Son of God? Is he truly the way to heaven? Is he truly God and man come together? He says, come and here's the evidence. And what does Thomas respond? My Lord and my God. He's there. My Lord and my God. This is the one I need to follow. He's a big L Lord. Who am I to tell Jesus to follow me? I need to follow him. And he drops everything to follow Jesus. I just wonder, though, if Thomas was the postmodern Thomas, the Thomas that goes through our filters and go, you know, if we were there, that we would see Jesus, see his scars, touch and see, and we'd go, Jesus, you're Lord. I want to follow you as long as you help me achieve my lifetime goals, as long as you make my life happy and bring me joy, as long as you give me the best marriage with the best kids and the best life ever. It's like, Jesus, I I see you as Lord. I see you the truth. I know you're big, but I still feel pretty big myself. I want you to serve me. Where somebody like Thomas looks at it and they, they have this big picture of Jesus, goes, no way I'm going to say that. I need to follow you and I need to follow you wherever you lead me. Because he's a big Jesus. He's a big saviour. Jesus will lead them in hard places. He'll lead us in hard places. He'll lead us to be uh, very uncomfortable. Even talking about uh, the disappointment when I was just sharing you with Mez not coming. You know, we've all put ourselves out there to our friends and family, come along to church. And now I know we're all thinking through how we're going to tell our friends it didn't work out. And before we got them there, we put ourselves out there. That's a hard place that didn't work out. Jesus is going to make us very uncomfortable. In fact, he puts it in words like this. When you follow me, take up your cross and follow me. It's gonna, that's a hard place, taking up your cross, dying to self, living for him. But it's when we follow something big, like Jesus, when we follow him, when he's, he is the connection between heaven and earth, all those things we desire, he's got waiting for us, he's preparing for us. You know, eternity, a place with good health, 
a place of joy and happiness, living with God. No sickness, no pain, no tears in heaven. So when we trust him, we know we're going to somewhere good. But I encourage you, please, don't, don't put our cultural grid in front of that and go, well, actually, I need it good now. And if Jesus is not going to make my life good now, why am I following him? Because he's got a much bigger plan, because he is the big God. Let me pray that we will see how big he is and that we will have the courage to follow him anywhere. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your love that you would reach out to us, a sinful people, a broken people, a blind people. We could even add a self-centred people and want the world to revolve around us. Lord, please help us to see Jesus, that he is bigger than Moses, bigger than David, that he truly is the Son of God, your King, that he is the way to heaven, the only way to heaven, and we need to trust in him. Help us to see what it means to follow him. And Lord, help us to have the courage and the heart to be open to your leading. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.